when it's a stock sale, all of the all of the the gain is long-term capital gains. Okay, as long as they've owned the company for more than a year, and that's obviously um, 99.9% of the of what we see. Um, so all of it is capital gains from the the seller's perspective, and that means that you get anywhere from 15 to uh, uh, 23.8% um, long-term capital gain. Um, the difference between those two percentages is 15% is for something that's roughly less than a quarter of a million dollars of capital gain. So mostly it's, it's going to be up in the 23.8% range. Welcome to the Business Transition Roadmap. My name is Elizabeth Ledoux, and through my years, I have seen how communities thrive when business succession and transition are done well. Me and my team at the Transition Strategists have been helping business owners develop and implement transition strategies for over 30 years. And on this show, we want to help you by giving you the roadmap to a healthy business transition. Let's get started. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Business Transition Roadmap. Um, we are here today talking with Eric Lake, who is the managing tax partner of Singer Lewick here in Colorado. And um, I am I'm so excited to have Eric here. He's got so many years of working with private companies, helping them to navigate business transition and from the tax perspective, of course, but also from a variety of others, just with all the knowledge and history that he has over the many years. So Eric, welcome to our podcast today. Thank you. I'm, I enjoy being here. Good. I'm so glad we're here. So, um, this is super fun for me on top of Eric being the managing tax partner. He also is my brother and I love being able to work with him at times and also tap into his knowledge. So he's going to be really, um, I think super transparent with us today with some things that he has seen in working with clients and how they've navigated and approached transition. So Eric, um, first tell us a little bit about you and your history and your background as an accountant. Okay. Well, um, as you know, Elizabeth is my sister and we grew up in uh, Denver, Colorado, and uh, I have not really left the uh, state of Colorado to live for ever, really. Um, so grew up in Denver, went to Colorado State University, um, got a degree in finance and real estate from the university or Colorado State University, and then I have a master's in accountancy from the University of Denver. Uh, I've been practicing as a CPA since 1992, um, been in the accounting industry in, since 1989 um, when I was an intern with Coopers and Libran. I've uh, gone through uh, a lot of the, the, I started with a big four, went to a small regional, a smaller regional firm. Then I started my own CPA practice in 97. Um, bought a uh, practice in 2002, um, ran that for a few years, merged in with another firm in Denver called Holben Hay Balzer, and that turned into Holben Hay Lake Balzer. 
And then in 2019, uh, Holbin Hay Lake Balzer merged in with Singer Lee Wack. Singer Lee Wack is a, is a uh, West Coast regional firm. We have about 435 uh, people in our office, including um, administrative people. We are uh, top 70 in the country in size. And um, we do everything from uh, tax work, audit work, bookkeeping, accounting work. Uh, we have a company that, or a, a division that does franchising um, for franchise companies. We virtually do it all. We have a, a group that's uh, international in, in nature. So a company that is going offshore or a company that's coming onshore, we have the ability to help them. And we also has a, have a group called SALT, which is, stands for state and local tax. And all they do is state and local tax issues, um, determining how to um, best and most efficiently uh, file tax returns and um, make your way through all 50 states. Yeah, well, and- That's yes. kind of our background. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot. It's a, it is, it's a great firm and a, a yeah. great group of people. And, um, you know, I think that for our podcast today, you come at things from a couple different angles, one in helping clients to navigate business transition. Um, but second, I mean, you've been through quite a few business transitions yourself. So, when you look at your clients and you see people starting to navigate business transition, uh, you know, trying to figure out how they're going to move the company from their generation, their current ownership to a next generation's ownership, whether it's family or not. Um, how do you see people starting to do that? What do they do? Um, typically what, what I see, and, and this is, uh, hopefully, after they've kind of gone through what what you can provide in the consulting, but um, typically where I see that that happening is is that the the person that maybe started the business or maybe even a second generation person at this time, um, they're they're kind of they're they they want the business to to thrive past you know their their ability to run it. Um, and they look to maybe their children or um, key individuals that that are within the company, or both, really, in some cases, to to kind of pick up that torch and and move it forward. And often, the biggest issue that we have um, from a tax perspective is what is the what is the entity that that is being transitioned. Um, if you're talking about transitioning from like a father to one of his children, um, now we get into things like, are we, are we typically those will be more like a stock sale and that creates um, it, it. That's probably the best possible way for uh, a father or a mother to get out of their business and get it to their children. Um, the, tell people, the tell thing, people why, yeah, what about that is the best way for 
a father or mother to give well, it to a child. When you're selling stock, when it's a stock sale, all of the all of the the gain is long-term capital gains. Okay, as long as they've owned the company for more than a year, and that's obviously um, 99.9% of the of what we see. Um, so all of it is capital gains from the the seller's perspective, and that means that you get anywhere from 15 to uh, uh, 23.8% um, long-term capital gain. Um, the difference between those two percentages is 15% is for something that's roughly less than a quarter of a million dollars of capital gain. So mostly it's it's going to be up in the 23.8% range. Um, and that's good for the seller. From the buyer's perspective, they kind of step into the shoes of the of the seller, their father, their mother. And so they're they're selling a company and there's there's not a lot of depreciation and, and other or they're buying a company and and whatever depreciation they have, let's say they have a bunch of old equipment, they're a manufacturing company and they have a bunch of old equipment, there's not really a lot of deductions for the purchase. Uh, there are ways that we can structure the the transaction to um, alleviate that, but those some of those uh, those strategies um, adversely affect the seller, and so it's really important to when you're starting down this path to get with your CPA, get with um, somebody like you, Elizabeth and strategize and figure out how we're going to move these assets um, from one generation to another at the the most tax efficient way for and and I'm talking about a, a father mother you know to their children the most tax tax efficient way to move this to the to the next generation and the the tax efficiency is at the family level you know the mother and father aren't taking a big hit and the the child isn't um strapped trying to pay the bills so um yeah and, and that's, that's really that's, that's really a really important thing yeah and that's interesting cuz um so you know what i see at times is I see people you know, going for the how and how much, right? So they kind of start there sometimes with their advisors. And what I'm hearing from you, if I reflect back properly, is that it's important to know who you want to transition this to ideally so that when you do go, so that you have a little bit of a foundation and you can go explore um, with a little bit more accuracy the tax consequences and also, you know, some of the legal consequences that go around that. Because in prior podcasts, we've talked a little bit about, we've talked a little bit about stock sales, which, you know, sale of the company with just sale of the stock or sale of the interest. We've also talked a little bit about asset sales and asset sales just are, they're different and it's where the assets get sold out of the company and then the company Either has to be you can do something else with it or you can dissolve it. The the interesting thing is you know, what you were talking about with that 
with your thoughts are tax efficiency, the best way to go from parent to child in a tax efficient manner. Because other people, they'll talk about gifting and other things like that. So let's say you were to gift to somebody versus sell the stock. Is the gifting strategy better mm -hmm. in a way or how does that compare to what you just talked about? Um, so that gets into the realm of, of a lot of estate planning issues. Um, it depends on how big the sale is and what the parent has done in the past as far as gifting is concerned. Um, you can definitely gift most, you could gift any company, you know, all the stock, et cetera, to the child. And that would be very tax efficient today. All right. Um, as long as the sale isn't, you know, $50 million. Um, because what, if the sale is too big or the gift is too big, say more than $20 million, now we are 25 million. Now we get into the fact that you're going to gift off the, all of these assets or these interests to the child and create a 40% tax rate to the mother and father because they have to pay the gift tax on it. All okay. right. If it's a $12 million sale and there's a mother and a father, you could gift it or 20, $12 million value, I should say. Um, you could gift it to the, to the child or children and basically use up a bunch of your uh, gift tax exemption and transfer it to the children um, virtually tax-free, all right? Now, when I say virtually tax-free, uh, we haven't really gotten past the tax. All we've done is moved the, the stock or the assets or whatever you gifted to the child they step into the same into your shoes from a tax perspective and so if they were to sell the company you know 3 months later whatever capital gains that they have uh, or that was transferred to them that was deferred they would then get to pay so right. they don't get a what we call a step up in the basis of those assets that only occurs at death um, right so probably the most tax efficient way to do it is to hold on to the stock. All right. Create maybe some sort of a, a, a profit sharing plan for your children that they can share in the profits of the company. Um, and there's ways to do that depending on the type of entity you have. And then um, at death, you transfer the actual shares of stock to them and you can use your 12 to $13 million depending on when you die, um, to shelter the capital gain on the sale of that company. Right, on that transfer, because because the key to that whole conversation, well, a couple of things that, you know, takeaways is the step-up happens with current law, if I'm reflecting back properly. Step-up mm -hmm. happens with the current laws um, at the time of death, and it does not happen before. So Correct. holding on to that stock, if you're going to gift it, um, potentially is one strategy that might be, that might be workable. Um, one of the things that 
is lost in that, which is the one of the things that's lost in that strategy is the ability for the successor to create wealth for themselves. And so that's where that profit sharing comes in. So they can take some of the proceeds out of the company as though they did own it. Um, but the actual transfer of the equity value takes place later. Correct. Yeah. So Correct. And if you're, if you're talking about something like a, an LLC or a partnership, you can actually create, um, uh, it, they're called carried interests and, um, the, the parents can gift carried interests or profits interests in the partnership at a zero dollar value because all you're giving your child on the day that you give it to them is the opportunity to make money in the future as a partner. So you're giving them a three or five or six or 15% profits interest. And it doesn't have a value on the day that you gifted it to them. Okay. And the only way that there's value there is as you make money in the partner, as the partnership makes money and they issue a K-1 to the child, the child will pay tax on that. And then they can build their, their capital account and their basis, stock basis in the company over time. And their only, their gift is the, is the amount that that they're paying tax on every year through the K-1. So, and that actually kind of, it dilutes the, the parents' um, interests. And yeah. it's a way to shift money. That's great. So, we've talked a little bit in the past about just the the need to potentially start with the, what I call the four W's, the who, the why, the what, and the when. And I think, you know, whenever, in all honesty, when I start talking to Eric and also other tax people, there are so many things to keep in mind of when you're thinking about the tax efficiency of any transition. You're trying to figure out, you know, what type of entity do you have currently? Um, how would you like to get it transitioned and to how many people and sometimes they're partners. And so that strategy is a little bit different tax wise than maybe to a, a son or a daughter or a family member. Um, and so, and then so many different ways to get them going. The other thing I think that's interesting is there is always, and I'm finding it to get, it's getting bigger. Um, the age, of the people who are the current owners, they're living longer and working later in life and they're having a good time doing it. And then the successors who would normally be their successors are older because, you know, especially if it's a parent child kind of a thing, those they're about 25 years or so apart. And so if the father or mother works until they're 70 or even 80 sometimes, and it doesn't give the successor the opportunity to create the wealth that they want to. And so I think that in the strategy, if you're putting people first and taking care of people, it's important to think about what happens to the successor and how they create their wealth and also learn about the tax opportunities that are there for them. Correct. So I'm sure you've seen a little bit of, yeah. of tension in that area. 
Yeah. Um, you know, and, and the piece that I think is that we as tax professionals don't really think about too much unless, you know, you're, you're in the middle of it is, um, you know, what is the, what is the, the father or the mother want out of this? You know, there's a, there's a retirement piece to this that we don't really talk about. Um, and so we have to figure out what the, what the parents need out of it. Um, and, uh, or even a business owner you know, that's transitioning um, too, right? Whether they're parents or exactly. not, what do you need, what yeah. do you need to retire? Yeah. Exactly. Then, what do you need um, to retire? And that's a huge, huge issue. It, it's, that's probably the biggest issue that, that the, I'm going to call them the seller has is, you know, I've worked all my life to build this thing, this, this, uh, you know, money tree, if you want to call it that. Um, and now I need to start harvesting some of this for, for me, but I want somebody else to help me harvest it. Um, and so we, we've, we've got to get that in place. As far as the, the successor is concerned and some of the tax strategies for the successor is, you know, is, is there a way that we can um, defer some money out of the corporation for their retirement? All right. And that's building their wealth so that when they get to the age of their, of the, the seller, um, they have the ability to pass the, the corporation along or the, the business along, and they might not need, they may need about as much as the, the, the prior seller has because we've developed a, a strategy to um, basically pull some of that money out and put it aside for them so that, that, that they have uh, money to live on, you know, irrespective of what the business is worth. And that's, really important. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, um, so two questions for you. One, um, how many of the clients that you work with that are private business owners, so they could be families or non-families either way, um, but private companies, how many of them have a well-diversified asset base? So, you know, not all of their money is in the company. What would you say? I would say that it's probably close to 50, 50. Yeah. Um, and, 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 um, you know, well diversified is a, is kind of a, a, a moving target because if your company is making uh net income of $300,000, um, the amount that you have to have outside of, of your company, um, to be quote well diversified is a lot less than a company that's fifty million dollars, um, and so it's it's kind of a moving target. But um, you mean from an asset standpoint, that's true. But from a life yeah, standpoint, from an asset it's standpoint, the, it's the from flip. a life standpoint, it's it's yeah, flipped. it's exactly right. If your company isn't making very much money, you better have a lot stashed away if you can. You know, sure, yeah, because uh, you just you're you're just not going to be able to get the the money 
that you need out of it to to survive. You know, whereas if your company is a fifty million dollar company, um, you're probably going to come out of the out of the transaction with um, a lot more money than what you would have in other investments. Correct. So, yeah. Yeah, that's and that's very interesting because um, uh, you know most well statistics are that eighty percent that eighty percent of business owners' wealth is typically tied up in their company. And um, the other thing about yeah, it, how, how I would often, believe that. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, how often, yeah. well, and, and to that point, you know, business owners, when they're building, when they're building their wealth, tend to invest in the thing that they know best and the th- thing that they do best. And so um, you reinvest in your business and reinvest and reinvest and reinvest, thinking that you'll be able to cash mm-hmm. it out sometime. And um, if you're intentional, I think that that's absolutely possible. And that's why also I like the timeline idea, because I was going to ask you um, how how many owners or what do you think when you look at owners that are thinking about transitioning that kind of know what their business is worth and also understand the tax consequences of if they go to sell to a third party or to someone else, maybe even a partner? Um, I would say that that the number of people that actually, um, say five or 10 years out, start to look at the value of their company and try and figure out what, what their company is going to be worth, um, on the day they retire and they're five or 10 years out, I would say that's a very, very small number of people, really small. Um, it's sad, but that's probably the case because what, you know, entrepreneurs, I think, are are kind of a, a funny breed. Um, they invest in themselves. They invest in the fact that, you know, they can get whatever they, they're doing done. And sometimes they don't worry about the future of their retirement when it look when they're looking at their business per se. They're more interested in running it and being there and doing what they do best and that's running that business and those decisions are hard and maybe sometimes even painful to think about you know uh it's it's kind of like uh you know selling your first child you you just don't want to think about that you know um so There are. There are a lot of relationships that are inside of the company that you care for as an entrepreneur. And yep. the other thing I think you're right, Eric, it's a it is can be kind of sad because it's the it is the end of an era in a way. It's the end of mm-hmm. you as the entrepreneur mm-hmm. building and growing. It could be the beginning of a next era of you being a mentor, teacher, helping somebody else to take it forward and letting go. And it also could also be the beginning of your next adventure. But um, some people don't want to do that. And I was talking to a potential client the other day, and um, there's nothing wrong with having a 20-year timeline where you're going to hang on to some of the assets, right? You're going to hang on to some of the stock or whatever it might be, even until you pass. And um, I, you know, my belief is as long as there's a strategy for your family um, to 
know what to do with the business, whether they're taking it over or whether they're going to sell it and transact it to somebody else. As long as there's some kind of a strategy and people know, I don't think there's anything wrong in continuing to own it until you're no longer on the planet. It's just my belief. So, um, um, I, I, yeah. I personally think that having, um, that first or second generation person around and, you know, it doesn't have to be that they're, you know, in the middle of it when they're in their seventies or eighties, but, you know, I, I love the fact that, um, Bill Holden and Craig Hay, who were my, um, they're now my retired partners. Uh, we still have offices for them. They still come in, um, occasionally, uh, they still, uh, help us and consult with us on some of our client work. Um, you know, and they're just, they're just there They're, And that's part of that mentoring and, you know, passing it along. Um, and so I thoroughly believe in people, you know, that first or second generation holding on to a little of that, of the, of the business and, and being a part of it. I think it keeps them vibrant. And I think it, allows the next generation to um, move into the, those management and uh, leadership positions uh, in a, a little slower manner than, you know, I bought, I, I sold this to you. It's yours now and good luck. Thank you. You're out of here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, yeah. and that does, that <laughs> I'm does, going to, I'm, I'm going to the Bahamas. <laughs> That's right. So and it, to, in order to do that, Eric, and you do have a great track record with that, and thanks for sharing that, um, it does require that, you, that you're able to keep the relationships intact. It's no fun to be in an environment where the relationships are um, tense and that. And so it's great to be able to keep the relationships intact and walk through it together, right? Both the leaving generation yes. and the incoming generation. So I have two more questions for you that will be um, at our time. Okay. So what do you see as the number one roadblock when business owners start to think about creating a transition strategy or leaving their companies? Number one roadblock. I think the biggest roadblock I've seen is actually, I think the biggest roadblock is the fact that, that, you know, this was their, this was their baby. This was the thing that they did. They did really well. All right. And a lot of the really successful people that are entrepreneurial. All right. They, they did something that they were passionate about. And now all of a sudden they're in a position where they're going to try and um, liquidate that position. All right. So they can retire, but it leaves a hole in, in their day-to-day -day life. Yeah. You know, they just maybe don't know what to do with themselves. And that's a scary thing. And they're afraid that whoever they turn it over to may run it right into the ground. Both big and fears. That would be tragic. What? Tra I said both really big fears and valid fears. Right. Yeah. What's what's the owner's yeah. next adventure and what's going to keep them fulfilled? And then um, mm -hmm. what happens if you leave that and you leave it in somebody else's hands and then the whole thing 
is run into the ground, as you said, or just falls apart just because of the lack of knowledge and leadership potentially with the successor. And the, I think the longer the runway you give yourself as a business owner to walk through the transition and to stick around with your successor, the more likely your successor is going to be able to run it. It's a long learning curve to be able to do what you've done, especially if you've done it for a long time, 10 or 20 or 30 years, you've got a lot of history under your belt and um, it takes a long time for the successors to figure all that out. That is true. You know, and, and quite honestly, um, uh, I have a, I have a retirement time that's kind of mandatory in our practice. And I was just talking with um, one of my administrative people and um, I've identified a couple of my um, younger uh, leaders and uh, I'm working with them to, to get them up to where they can be, they can take my place. All right. And this has been going on for a year that I've been doing this and I still have another like seven years until I have to retire. So the goal is, is um, I want to work myself out of a job. Yeah. Literally. That's great. I want to be able to step off the big ship onto my little boat and go do what I need to do. And it may mean that I have to work till I'm, you know, 78 as a contractor for him or, you know, not 78, but let's say 70 as a contractor for my firm. Um, so that we can get this transition worked out the right way, you know, awesome. and I'll enjoy doing it. That's awesome. So. Okay. So last question, um, we're at our time. What one thing, if mm -hmm. you could leave it with our listeners and our audience, what one thing would you recommend for them to think about in their transition, their business transition? Um, one thing, uh, I, I think the one thing that, that they need to think about is, is who is their, who is on their transition team, both accountants, lawyers, consultants, and the people that you're gonna, you're transitioning to, that's your transition team. And you've got to make sure that those people are rock solid. Yes. Thank you. And all pulling in your direction too, right? They're all on your boat. They're yes. all on your team. Yeah. Well, good. Well, Eric, yep. thank you so much. If they're for, not, they shouldn't be on the team. <laughs> yeah. You know, and on that note, there, uh, there are quite a few business owners that think that they've got the right people and, and the team is telling them what to do. And they have an advisor that keeps on pulling them out of where they want to go as an owner, you know? And so mm -hmm. thinking about it is so important that there's harmony with your team. There's harmony with your mm -hmm. successors and all of your advisors and that you're all moving in the same direction. So if you feel somebody not doing that with you, Eric's right. They should not be on your team. Absolutely. All right, Eric. Well, thanks again for joining us. And I so appreciate you taking the time to be here. Thanks, Elizabeth. It was awesome. Thank you so much. I look forward to it.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Business Transition Roadmap. If you are listening to this and you find yourself wanting to go deeper into these topics and start the process of putting together your transition strategy, I'd love to offer you a free initial strategy session with my team, where we'll help you to explore the future transition of your business. Head over to www.transitionstrategist.com to schedule a call. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Business Transition Roadmap.